we did a pilot program this year with a school for filmmakers and musicians and artists. You know, there's so much creativity in Haiti and, and we did a pilot project where we basically spending a, a total of six months, you know, training these artists and kind of saying like, you need to own your art, right? And, and this is your capital and uh, you can create a, you know, an actual business from it. And you, can, you don't have to leave Haiti, right, to be a successful artist. You can do that here, so. You're listening to the Let's Give a Damn podcast, your source of inspiration and motivation to give a damn about the people, places, and things around you. I'm your host and friend, Nick LaPara. I hope you're doing spectacular, and I truly hope 2018 is off to a great start for you and yours. My guest today is Stephen Keppel. Stephen is the Vice President of Social Impact at Univision, or Univision. Yo soy de Guatemala, y en Latinoamérica se dice Univision. But for all the gringos, we'll just stick with Univision. He's also the General Manager of Rise Up, the Executive Director of the Univision Foundation, and the Co-Founder and Chairman of EGI, the Economic Growth Initiative for Haiti. Yes, he has done all those things, he is doing all those things, He's a pretty amazing individual, and I think this conversation will be super helpful for you, especially if you work and exist within the corporate workforce. Steven hasn't let the corporate world and the barriers that exist within that world stop him from making a difference in so many valuable ways. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Steven Keppel. Here we go. Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Mr. Stephen Keppel. So excited to have Stephen here. Stephen, thanks for joining me. Nick, it's great to be with you. Awesome. So I'm so excited about our talk today. Let's get right into it. Um, let's give some context real quickly before we get into your story. I want to learn more about where you came from, how things have happened in your life leading up to this point. Give people some context. What's your title What's the reason that we actually started talking? What's what's your title at your work that will yeah then get us into the rest of our conversation? Sure, um, I'm the vice president of social impact at Univision, the big media company, Hispanic media company. Um, I'm also the executive director of the Univision Foundation, which we recently launched, um, and helped to lead Rise Up, which is sort of our social impact uh, brand and platform. Amazing. Well, we are going to dive into so much of that just here in a few minutes, but I always like to begin our conversations, or most of the time anyway, talking about where you came from. What are the people, places, and things that formed you, made you who you are today? Because so much of that, truthfully, influences the kinds of decisions you've made and the kind of work you've gotten into. And so many of those things are easily traceable back to, oh, this person said this, or my dad said this, or my mom did this, or I encountered this in school. So take us back as far back as you want to go and just give us some context for where you came from, how things kind of got to be the way they are today. <laughs> sure. It definitely goes back to my childhood. Um, I don't think I would be where I'm at today if I didn't have, you know, such an amazing family and parents who sort of cared not just about raising me the right way and getting giving me the right education, but also making sure that I would turn out to be a, a human being who cared about the world. So I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania, not a super diverse place. So, you know, a little bit of, you know, different, different cultures here and there, but uh, a little bit rural, you know, close to uh, uh, the sort of Allentown, Bethlehem and Easton area. Anyway, I think because maybe there wasn't a lot of diversity where I lived and kind of where I first went to school, 
um, my parents always took kind of great pains to make sure that we engaged with the outside world, you know, whether that was like taking a lot of trips to New York and, and, and uh, Philadelphia and in other cities or, you know, going to a black church on Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day, looking back on, you know, my parents did that a couple of times. And I look back and think, you know, nobody I knew was doing that <laughs> where I grew up. And it seemed, didn't seem that strange at the time. And I think that was the beauty of, of all of it, of what my parents did. And, and I had grandparents that, um, especially my grandfather who came from a humble background, kind of growing up on a farm in Pennsylvania and went on to uh, travel the world, you know, as a, as a businessman and executive and, you know, had great stories of, of Europe and Latin America and Asia and different places he went. And so I think that childhood really, those experiences um, exposed me to different cultures and ideas and to kind of, I think because of that, I grew up as somebody who was always curious and in, um, different ideas in different places and different things. And then I think too, uh, I grew up in a, a very Catholic family and, and community and Catholic school pretty much from grade school through, through college at Notre Dame. And I think looking back, you know, I was fortunate to have a handful of teachers and professors that really stressed the kind of Catholic social teaching aspect of it. You know, there are definitely some, some parts of the, of Catholicism and, and religion in general, which, um, you know, aren't for everybody and sometimes can actually lead people to be more closed-minded. Um, I was fortunate in, in the experience that I had where um, I had a lot of great teachers that, that again, reminded me that, you know, you can, a lot of this teaching uh, is very progressive um, in many ways. And so I think when I was at Notre Dame, sort of volunteering in the community you know, helping others and being involved in, in kind of mission trips and that sort of thing was, a was just kind of something normal that people did. And, and so I got used to it. And I think, um, you know, from that stage, from kind of from graduation, I just always knew that I wanted to do, you know, something good and, and look back on, on my life or even in the present and just make sure I was doing something positive, uh, for the world. So I think I always had that with me. And I remember specifically kind of graduating college and thinking about what I wanted to do. I had studied, uh, I think, marketing and psychology and had interned for McCann Erickson in advertising. And I just kind of thought, you know, <laughs> I don't think I want to just do this for the rest of my life. So yeah, it was that upbringing that, that kind of led me to, to branch out and, and spend a couple of years in Haiti um, teaching English um, and then later uh, starting a project for entrepreneurs. So that's kind of how I, those, you know, my, my kind of big moments and journey to, uh, to be who I am today. Yeah, a lot of that totally makes sense. Do you remember there being, you know, I've had so many amazing guests on amazing humans, and and for some it was more of like a, it was a progression, right? You know, I always ask, was it like a, a one time, like was it a big situation that caused you to begin to give a damn, or was it, you know, many different circumstances all bundled together over years? And some say no, it was this one thing, this one trip I took, or this one person I met. Was it more of a progression for you, or was it? And I think I may know the answer based on the story you told, or was or was there kind of one situation you? You can remember where it was like, I can never unsee or unfeel what I just felt and saw. And I have to, you know, orient my life around, you know, giving back and helping people, that sort of thing. It was definitely a progression, but there were obviously key moments that kind of really just rooted that in me. Um, I think in college, knowing what I knew, sort of my background helped me get involved in some things, um, like helping out in the local community in, in South Bend, Indiana on a couple projects. And 
you know, some really tough neighborhoods there. There's a huge community of um, Mexican and Central American immigrants. Um, there's a strong black community there that, you know, I had the fortune of, of, uh, I did big brothers, big sisters and, and, and worked with a, with a great kid and a great family there. And so I think, you know, by the time I was graduating college through those experiences, um, I kind of, yeah, you sort of get the sense like, you know, I can't really just go, <laughs> go and work on Madison Avenue and, and have, you know, try to have a great advertising career knowing what I know, um, about the world. Um, and again, credit to sort of my, my teachers and mentors, for that. And I think too, one, one thing I would like to mention when I was still in college, um, I had a business professor, a finance professor named Carl Ackerman. And I went to him one day before I graduated almost to like talk me out of, uh, you know, what I was planning to do. Um, and I was thinking about either Peace Corps or going to this program in Haiti. And, um, I, I said, Hey, yeah, I want to, I want to have a discussion with you. I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do or not. And, I kind of thought he would tell me, go get the job you want, save some money. You can do some good social good stuff on the side and life will be good. And he was totally like, no, you know, you have to do this. If you're thinking about doing this, if you're thinking about going to Haiti or Latin America or, you know, to, to do service, he's like, you've got to do it. This is your chance. And he was like so excited. And, and that was really the, the big push I think I needed um, to take that step. And I think it probably saved me years of being frustrated in, in, in jobs I didn't like. Um, so that was a big one. And, and then when I, while I was in Haiti, Haiti is a beautiful country, obviously a lot of challenges. And when you kind of, you live in that, it, it does change you, you know? And I think it hit me when I started to meet, you know, young Haitians that were younger than me or my age that in many ways were, were smarter than I was, you know, they spoke three or four languages. They had gotten themselves educated, you know, they were just hustling and making it. Um, but I was the one who had all the advantages, you know, and I could go home if there was a crisis or something. And, and that really stuck with me and kind of humbled me in a way. And it was like, you know what, your position in the world is because of, you know, just a few factors, kind of where you were born, the fact that you had two parents, the fact that you got an education and it's less about your own kind of intelligence or creativity or anything. And so that was huge for me, um, cause it helped me understand my own privilege and also give me a sense of really a, a mission to do something with that privilege to help other people, you know? So I would say progression, but then that, those kind of moments in college. And then when I went to Haiti, that really uh, drove it home for me. How often do you get back to Haiti nowadays? Yeah, I get to go back at least once a year, um, which is great. Um, and it's much easier now that I'm, I'm based here in Miami. When I, my second year in Haiti, back in 2005, I started uh, a foundation there called uh, the Economic Growth Initiative for Haiti or EGI, which had a goal of um, helping entrepreneurs start their businesses. And it's kind of uh, morphed in over the last 10 or 15 years into um, a program that we run every year that um, identifies and, and trains uh, Haitian entrepreneurs. And so anyway, I get to go back at least once a year. We have an awesome team that runs the program in Haiti. And I, you know, I help fundraise in the U.S. side. But, um, but yeah, I get to go back every year and, and uh, get to meet the different entrepreneurs and uh, I was down a few months ago in September. I went down um, and, and helped teach a, a workshop. And anyway, that has been um, a real gift in my life, that that experience and the ability to go back. Because again, I guess I get to contribute a little bit, but I I mean, I learned so much from those trips and, and from visiting those people. Yeah. Now that you brought up EGI, let's talk about that for a minute. So why give work and give jobs versus give charity, right? So there's um, a lot of conversations today from all sides about, 
you know, is charity the most effective way of taking care of people? Or should we be giving them work? Should we be developing programs? Should we be helping them make a living for themselves, right? And I think the answer is very clear. I've been involved in nonprofit work for 21 years now, mostly charity. And now there's a lot of, in the last couple of years, I've been transitioning to trying to figure out what my place is in the social enterprise, social impact space in, in terms of giving work, helping them develop. So talk to me about how EGI, how it was birthed, how it came to fruition and why that versus like trying to raise money to just give them money, right? Give them clothes, give them food, give them, you know, water, those sorts of things. What's the what's the thinking there and, and why did you choose to tackle this? When I first went down, I was part of a, it was called the Haitian Project. Um, it was the organization and it was Louverture Cleary School. And it was basically a, um, a boarding school for, you know, middle, I think they did like basic grade school through through high school um, for, un, you know, underprivileged kids in, in Haiti that couldn't afford it. And, you know, they had kids come in from some of the poorest neighborhoods in, in Port-au-Prince, and they would um, take, come in with an exam, get so, you know selected by exam, so you get kind of 30, and they expanded to 60, 60 kids recently um, every year. And um, anyway, by working at the school, I, could, I got to see that you know, a kid coming out of like the worst slum in the Americas spends eight years at this school getting educated and then kind of goes off and, and uh, has a real shot at life. So the idea of providing education was really made clear to me through this project. Um, and sort of my boss and men- mentor at the time, a guy named Patrick Moynihan, who's still doing great work in Haiti, kind of spoke with me about, uh, he was really a part of the launch of, of EGI. And part of it was I was a little frustrated with just teaching and I wanted to do something and I had studied business and uh, I was like, how, you know, how can I help? And basically, he was like, hey, talk to, we have a couple graduates. They just lost their jobs because in um, 2004, the president was left the country or was kicked out, you know, depending on the story. And there was a lot of turmoil. And um, anyway, the economy shut down, you know, and, and it made clear to me too, like, no matter how much aid you can throw at a situation, when things get really bad, the aid goes out, the, right? The aid workers leave for a little bit, then they come back and, and try to rebuild. And I think there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, especially after disasters and stuff. Like you really need that immediate support, but it can go on forever. Um, and that's not really helping anybody if you're just just doing charity forever and ever and ever. And it creates, it can create a dependency. And so I got to see that. And um, I realized that just by using the skills that I had in that case, which was knowing how to create a business plan, I could help really smart people um, who had great ideas, you know, formulate them a little bit and think a little bit more differently about how they would actually create a business that um, can create wealth and jobs rather than just kind of a, a micro business that maybe, you know, brings in a little bit of money here and there. You know, I think our goal has always, was with EGI has always been to like create like a, a traditional small and medium sized business that can support the owner, that can support the employees and that kind of brings value to the country um, and the economy. Again, that good experience of learning that early on, like, wow, there's been tons of charity in, in Haiti and it hasn't really moved the needle <laughs> like forward. Again, there's like basic needs that, that people need after disasters and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, in a country like Haiti and, and I think other developing countries, the, the people that know best about kind of what country they want to build and how they want to build it are the people that live there. And that's sort of always been part of the ethos of EGI is like basically let's take what we know, um, which is a little bit about, you know, how to, how to put the business together. Um, you know, we fundraise in the U S um, we have a really modest budget. 
and then we pour that all into programs for entrepreneurs um, and, and getting entrepreneurs connections and, and investment. Haiti keeps coming up on my radar. I need to go. I've, I've spent time or lived in 30 countries or so, but I haven't been to Haiti yet. Um, interviewed Rain Wilson on my podcast. He and his wife are deeply involved in the education and arts for girls in Haiti, Lide Haiti. And uh, then just the other week, I had Heidi Lindgren and Julie Colombino and their company, Dume, uh, which employs dozens of, of Haitians there making you know, amazing bags and sandals and whatever. So I keep getting pointers back to Haiti, so I'll need to make it on one of these trips. Let me know when you go come, next time. Maybe us. we can... Uh... Yeah, we'll go to Port-au-Prince. We'll go to Jacques Mel, where we, we did a pilot program this year with um, a school for, um, for filmmakers and musicians and artists. And, uh, you know, trying to, you know, there's so much creativity in Haiti. And, and we did a pilot project where we basically um, spending a, a period, you know, I think six, a total of six months, you know, training these artists and kind of saying like, you need to own your art, right? And, and, and this is your capital. And uh, you can create a, you know, an actual business from it. And you can, you don't have to leave Haiti, right, to be a successful artist, you can do that here. So yeah, next, next year, let's go. I love it. I love it. Okay, so we have these impactful situations that helped you give more dams, right? And but take us from that moment to what's between there and you becoming VP of social impact at Univision or Univision. Give us that part of the journey. Sure. So um, you know, after just a little more than two years in Haiti, it did get a little bit you know dangerous security wise. Um, there was a period when. For the first time, they kind of started kidnapping foreigners and stuff. And a lot of people were like, you need to leave. You know, a lot of my family was like, you, <laughs> you need to come home. And, and I wanted to stick it out. Um, but, it, you know, it wasn't a great situation for me or the project that I was in at the time. And I realized, too, and I think I had some advice from my boss, Patrick, that, you know, I could have uh, more impact over the long run, like if I got more educated really on, on what I was doing. I think that was something too. I always felt like I was doing this and I knew a little bit, um, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't know the history, the sort of economic and political development of, of uh, a lot of these countries and how they get in situations like this. So um, I went to Columbia University, the School of International and Public Affairs, um, and uh, did the master's program there looking at economic and political development, kind of really ignited a love for economics there. And, um, and again, looking at some of the reasons why countries like Haiti and others get into the situations that they're in. And a lot of it is economics and politics. And a lot of it, you know, the people in these countries don't have full control over. So that was really impactful for me. I spent a summer working in Bogota, Colombia, on kind of analyzing projects that the government was doing to try to um, reintegrate uh, communities that had been previously um, occupied by the FARC rebels or paramilitaries and super interesting, um, uh, really great experience, made a, a number of contacts. Um, also met my future wife there, um, which was a big part of my story, refined my Spanish and learned to kind of become fluent-ish in Spanish. And then from that, uh, we, we, I graduated, ended up getting married. My wife was doing a graduate program in London. So I moved to London and I had always had an interest in sort of writing and media and obviously had uh, spent two years studying economics and, and spent time in Latin America, Latin America and the Caribbean. And uh, I applied for a job with uh, The Economist at The Economist Intelligence Unit. And um, I ended up getting it. So I started working there um, as an editor and an economist um, and, and later doing some writing. 
for them. Um, and again, I focused on countries like Haiti and Colombia and Bolivia and really interesting places and, and got to go to um, some really cool places there and really expand my knowledge of the region and how things work. And But I do think after a while, I got a little bit, I enjoyed what I was doing. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed the media aspect. Um, I realized I was basically writing all my work was helping rich people make decisions about where their investments were going. And I love the Economist magazine and I I love the people there and they do great, great work. Um, But for me, that wasn't enough. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, all right. And I had still been um, supporting the project in Haiti. It was ongoing and being run by people in Haiti. Um, But I wanted to find a way to bring together my passions for, you know, social good and social impact um, and, you know, media and writing and, and, and that sort of thing. So I was fortunate. Um, one of the people that I had worked kind of connected with while I was at uh, The Economist was Isaac Lee, a Colombian journalist and entrepreneur who had just become the president of Univision News. Um, and he invited me to sort of join his team. And um, he knew my story and he really sold me on the the social role that Univision has and, and kind of like, you know, pitched me with this idea to come in and and work with the the news team, a great award-winning news team, um, and originally to help them talk a little bit more or a little bit more fluently about the economy and what had happened with the economic crisis. This was back in 2011, so it just kind of still emerging from the the housing crisis and tons of of, uh, Hispanics lost their homes and and, and all this sort of thing. Um, So that was kind of my pitch, and, and I was like, you know, I love it. Um, it, it's media, it's expanding what I was doing in media, which I really love. And I, I think there's such a huge role for media in, in the social impact space. Um, and, you know, with a goal of like really serving the community. So I, I worked in Univision News um, and we, we did some, created some content around personal finance and financial empowerment, which led to creation of a campaign. You know, one of the things I learned was like, you know, you can get people with a two minute segment that's really important, but you know, in order to retain that information, you know, you need to hear it from all sides and it need to be kind of sustained over time. So we created a campaign with zero budget, but with like public service announcements and we did some radio and pulled a lot of favors. And, you know, um, I think I even did some voiceovers for stuff myself, but um, the people I worked with at Univision really embraced it. And that type of work has been part of the company's DNA forever. All I really did was kind of build on what had been done and structured a little bit better and targeted a little bit better. And you know, use what I knew about um, digital media and social media to kind of reach audiences in a different way. And, and so that kind of snowballed into health projects and environmental projects and education projects um, within Univision News. And as the company kind of expanded into English language uh, content with the launch of Fusion TV and, and, and Fusion Digital, um, started doing some similar work uh, with them. Um, and the company has really grown in the past few years to position itself as a voice in media, not just for Hispanics, um, but also this sort of rising multicultural millennial mainstream, right? Um, a younger audience, our, our audience is on, even on Univision TV is, is much younger than uh, the average English speaking audience. And when, with the launch of Fusion, we also saw the importance of this sort of next generation, whether it's second generation Latinos or other groups that, you know, are like myself, you know, are, are married with people from different countries and have kind of bicultural kids and uh, bilingual households. Um, 
so that was exciting to me. And, and we started to expand kind of this social impact work across that. And, um, and again, this is kind of all built by a huge team of people in different parts of the company. Uh, and I would say in the last two years, we've really created a team, a social impact team and a corporate social responsibility team to better structure all this work. Um, and I think that kind of led into the creation of the Univision Foundation earlier this year, which I think will help us do even more. That's a great journey and progression all over the world to get you to where you are today. So let's let's discuss uh, this Univision Foundation. What I'm trying to do is I want to give people that are I know there are people listening right now that are in that corporate job that are in that that workplace and they feel like their hands are tied. They can't do anything here. They can't make an impact. And I want to give them just some. I want to give them an idea of what could happen if they you know work hard and share the vision and keep going after it, right? So tell me about the foundation. Tell me about Rise Up. Let's talk about some of the things that you've been able to accomplish as vice president of social impact. What are some of the kinds of things that you've done as a result of your work and as a result of you really, you know, pressing forward and giving a damn? To kind of answer your first point. So myself and the people on my team are all people that maybe started off somewhere else, like in whether it was within media or other industries. And you know, something inside them said, like, you know, I really need to do something that makes a difference in the world and however big or small. And I think in some ways, we just kind of came together, like from different divisions, from different industries, um, from different media companies. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's like, it's not like I, I showed up at Univision or people on my team kind of show up and they say, you know, I've been a marketer for 15 years and I want to do social impact. You know, it starts with smaller steps with people that have done you know, have, have found what their kind of their place and their role in the social impact world is, right? Or their role in sort of doing good and what they know um, and kind of building off of that. So I kind of preface that to say that there are more roles than ever in the corporate world for people that want to, you know, use uh, whether it's media or um, or like just corporate power, right? Resources uh, for, for good. You know, the corporate responsibility space, I think is becoming more important the way companies uh, treat their customers and their communities, I think is more important than ever. So, and a lot of that stuff is started by people that are, that are inside those companies and they say, you know, we need to do this differently. And then they do something about it, right? They start maybe a small internal group first and it kind of gets, grows into a bigger initiative, but then they have a track record of saying like, well, I did this, you know, I've worked here. Um, and, and then they can kind of fill those roles that are coming up or create their own roles. You know, I think, in many ways, my role and in, in this team was created by kind of sheer will of people saying, um, of kind of doing the work and showing its success and saying like, we know we need to structure this better. And then great people in our management saying like, yes, this is important. Um, it didn't really exist before, but now we see it. Like, let's figure out how to structure it. Um, so that leads a little bit into the Univision Foundation. We had been working, you know, first with Univision News and then with Fusion and Fusion Media Group. And with Univision more broadly, uh, with foundation partners like the Gates Foundation, like the Ford Foundation, like the California Endowment, to fund content projects, journalism projects, and campaigns. And one of the things we found, you know, was that it's not super easy for a foundation to kind of give a grant um, to a for-profit media company, um, even though you know our goals were were just for hey, we want to find ways to amplify what we're doing and, and increase the the impact that this is having in our audience. Um, and because Univision audience is so specific on a group of people that is hungry for information, it, it worked. But one of the reasons for the foundation was to kind of facilitate that process even further. And also to, 
work with other foundations to fund and support journalism, independent journalism projects that I think is more important than ever. So the foundation will be able to re- receive funds from, from funders to support journalism projects on Univision or Fusion or other groups that um, other nonprofit groups that we see or other groups that we want to support. So that's a big part of it, kind of content camp- campaigns and independent journalism and creating a vehicle to, to help fund more of that. The second piece is, you know, just to better structure Univision's own corporate philanthropy and giving. So that will be a piece of it. Um, and then the third, and this really came up in the past year, was thinking about how we respond as a media company to natural disasters, and special events, things that happen. You know, we dealt with Harvey, which, you know, hit Texas and tons of our audience there. Irma, you know, my family and I, we had to evacuate. There were millions of people in Florida that were impacted by Irma. And, and then, you know, Maria in Puerto Rico, which devastated that. And not to forget the, um, you know, two huge earthquakes in Mexico, all key aspects of our audience. And so we came together, we did some great like fundraising and telethons, but we didn't really have a way of controlling where that money goes. So I think in the future, the foundation will help us to do that. Um, and, and we're thinking about some exciting things that we can do with that next year and supporting some of these places that were hit in 2017. So those are three areas really on the, on the foundation. And then just quickly on Rise Up, Rise Up was started out as an event that Fusion TV did um, around the time that it launched with a goal of bringing together um, young activists from around the world. And it was in the aftermath of the Occupy movement and, and with a goal of like getting people to, to talk about you know, real solutions and what's the next step. Successful event, the, internally people really identified with the concept and it really fit with Fusion's DNA. So the idea, you know, kind of evolved from that to like, let's, you know, create a platform um, and build out this brand um, and really just kind of, as we go along, we'll, we'll figure it out more. So a lot of our projects um, that my social impact team works on use the Rise Up uh, kind of brand. We have a, a youth media training program called Rise Up Be Heard. It's based in California. Um, we did a Rise Up Comedy for Change uh, event uh, with The Onion during their uh, comedy festival in Chicago, which looked at the role of comedy and satire and social change. In 2016, we did a big concert um, in the fall called Rise Up as One, which is really about cultural unity and bringing people together from the Mexican side of the border and the U.S. side of the border and non-Latino performers and artists and kind of getting people together and really just as a celebration of unity. So Rise Up, again, is kind of like a platform and a brand that um, we use on both Fusion Media Group, but also Univision to kind of um, engage our audience around social impact, social justice, and, and taking action. That's all incredible. I'm thinking of like everything, the Rise Up, your social impacts work, EGI. So I want to get a one or two sentence take from you real quickly on why do you do it? You know, you've talked at length about why you're doing it and kind of the experiences, but you're kind of, um, you know, and who knows what's going to happen in the future, but right now you're you're spending a lot of your time and energy and mental space and emotional space on making sure that people get heard and that that problems are seen and, and let's, let's address how we can see change in them and so on and so forth. So why do you give a damn in these ways? Like what's driving you when you get up in the morning? What's really pushing you to do it? Personally, for me, it goes back, you know, to what I said earlier about my upbringing and realizing all the privilege that I have, right? And all the things that I've been given, <laughs> you know, traveling all these different places around the world, it's become clearer to me that like, again, I'm in that top 
what is it for 1% or 5% that's born in the right place, you know, right. Yep. Gets all, you know, it gets all this, the, the, the cards were stacked, you know, in my favor. And then you see, I think with the advent of social media in the last decade, and you're seeing it in 2017, just all of the inequities and disparities that are out there and you're seeing it every day, you know? And so part of what gets me up in the morning is knowing that um, our work is working at kind of sort of closing the gaps of those disparities, right? And and um, making things better. And I think, you know, I can s- sleep at night because I know that, you know, things are challenging right now and I want a better world for my children. But I know that every day, you know, I'm, I get to work at an amazing place like this and I get to go to Haiti w- and, and hang out with some amazing people with a goal of like, uh, you know, closing those gaps, um, giving people opportunities, similar opportunities that I have, right? And giving them a voice. I think as a media company, that's one of the things that we can do, right? We can't donate tons of money to a charity or cause necessarily. We're not an aid organization. We're not a development organization, um, but we have a huge platform um, and we can give people and issues voices. Um, And I think this year more than ever um, that's needed. And so like, I'm so fortunate that um, I'm in this role and I have the chance to do that. And so like I get up every day and I think, about the projects that we've got going and the projects we, you know, we're working on and coming up and they all have a goal of like, how can we empower people? How can we inspire people to, you know, to make change? How can we use either the benefits that I have or the benefits of a media company like Univision? You know, Univision is a classic immigrant story, like started by and built by some amazing, amazing people in this country, you know, full stop, but also immigrants, right? And they came and built this conglomerate. And so I think everybody here knows that we as a company have a responsibility to our audience to help lift them up as well. For those listening that want to, whether they've just found the show or, or they've been listening for a while, and but they want to begin giving more dams than they did yesterday, right? That's the goal of this show is to get people just continuing to care, continuing to love people, serve people, figure out ways. What advice based on your experiences, based on your work as vice president of social impact, based on your work with EGI, just your whole life, if you could give two or three pieces of advice, two or three like action steps for people today that are listening, what kind of comes to mind for you? I would say first, start where you're at, right? Start with what you know, start with your community um, if you want to do something. I didn't overnight just say, hey, I want to go to Haiti or like I'm going to travel around the world. Um, I had spent, you know, a few years in college you know, working with the community or like taking courses about poverty and that was there. And then that kind of from doing what was there, it kind of gets you to the next level of like, oh, wow, I can, my volunteer experience in my community um, or this course I took um, really set, sets me up for the next step, which maybe is bigger. Um, so I think that's the key thing for people. Um, and, I, and I have people too that say, you know, how do I do what you do? Like, you have a great job. And I do. I love my, you know, I have an amazing job. But it, it wasn't like um, I just walked into it and somebody was like, oh, here it is. And I, with everybody on our team, it's, it's the same. You know, we had to take those small steps earlier and also to have the courage to say, you know, maybe I'll, I'll do something or I'll focus on something in my career that's might not be the most lucrative, um, at least at this point, but I care about it. And, you know, I can look myself in the mirror at night and I can sleep well and all these sort of things. And they went for it. And then, then you get to work with it every day. But that's my main advice to people is like, start where you're at and, and you can start small and, and just build from there. Yeah. Fantastic advice. 
As we begin to wrap up, I've got one bigger question kind of coming here as we kind of sum everything up. But I wanted to ask, I should have asked a long time ago, but I still am curious, is your Catholic faith still a big part of what you do? Or what have you kind of learned, you know, coming out of that? Maybe you've left some of it and kept some of it. Or what's kind of your situation there with, with in terms of faith? Like, how is that playing a part in what you're doing and who you are? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it it's always a part of who I am. I think my sort of relation to the faith has always depended on where we live and what the community is like. Again, there are parts of, I think, religion in general, which can be very restricting um, and, and can be negative. But there are parts of it that are, you know, beautiful and amazing. So, you know, currently, you know, we have a great community here. And, and uh, you know, I don't have my kids in Catholic school, but, you know, we go to church from time to time. I, I think when I think about raising my kids, um, I try to think about the best parts of Catholicism in my in my childhood, which again was these sort of social messaging and, and the and the morals, you know. So it's kind of a mix, you know. Um, it's uh, I'm not one of those that like complete, you know, that like left the faith when they you know when they grew up and and they're completely done. But I also my wife and I are also very cognizant of you know some of the lim- limitations of traditional religion and and um, you know and again I think unfortunately around the world there people have turned religion. And, um, into something that can be can be a negative force, you know. So I think the way that I think about it is there are definitely things that as part of the, the Catholic faith that we participate in, and then there are other things, you know, that we think about, you know. And I think we we focus a lot. I focus a lot too on like ideas of of gratitude, you know, being present in the world. You know, you, I think you can find grace in in that, and 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 whether that's you know God or the universe or Allah or whoever, you know, like I think that's that's people, and it's all an interpretation. I think the the beauty, the good parts of religion and Catholicism is the community aspect. And that's something I, I keep with me all the time. And, and sort Yeah, of you've got this global family of people participating in this faith, you know, at all levels, some super committed, some not so, but you've got, it's a, it, yeah, it feels like a family, right? Yeah. That's when, you know, faith is at its best, right? When it's just people, human beings, you know, getting together and connecting and sharing and helping other people, you know, and, and, um, so yeah, it's not always clear cut, I guess. <laughs> sure, totally. But, um, it's a journey, man. It's a journey. You're right. You know. So I've got this last question that I always ask every guest. Gets this question right at the right at the end. I'm going to frame the question. Someday you're going to die. That's not a secret. All of us will die. The hypothetical part of this question is, I, for some reason, when you die, hopefully it's many many years from now, after you know a successful career in life of helping people for some odd reason, they chose me to give your eulogy. So I'm standing there in front of all these entrepreneurs you've helped develop in Haiti, all of these people you've helped through your work, your kids, your wife, just this huge, huge crowd of people that you've helped over your lifetime. And again, for some reason, they've chosen me to give your eulogy. What do you hope that I will communicate in front of all the people that love you the most? What do you hope that I'll communicate about your life and legacy on that day? That's a, a, another tough question there, Nick. Um, but no, I, I think a good question to ask at the end, because right, we spent you know, 47 right. minutes talking about my journey. Um, I think what I would want you to say, or, or whoever gives my eulogy, that I was a good human being, a citizen of the world who used you know, whatever privilege and gifts that I had received to help others. I think that's key for me. I think another big part for me, you know, with family and community is important to me. So, you know, also being sort of like, hopefully somebody recognized for being a positive contributor to uh, the different communities they lived in and, 
and uh, a force for good. You know, that's what I hope for. I love it, man. That's a great life and legacy to have. Uh, and I'm sure if you keep at it, that that is what will be said. And I love that you, I love that you said a citizen of the world. Uh, there are things that people, and I'm not trying to do an us versus them right now, but people like you and me that have traveled the world. You know, I've spent a majority of my life outside the U.S. Actually, now I'm 34, so I'm not a majority at this point, but still a huge chunk of my life living or spending time in countries all over the world, developed countries, undeveloped countries, in amazing places. And I think it's very key and not something that everybody gets, what you just said, citizen of the world. There's We're very um, clicky, and this is my country, this is my place, these are my people. And the reality is that when one of us suffers, all of us suffer, not just in our country, not just in our community, but in our world. If there is an atrocity a disaster, anything, a famine, terrible things happening across the world, I have to figure out what my place is in that. I, I get to figure out what my place is in that. You starting EGI and working with a team of people to help entrepreneurs, why are you doing that? Who, like what, what happens in Haiti doesn't, isn't going to directly affect you in Miami or you here in the U.S., but, in re, but when you have that global mindset, that global worldview, it does affect. It does affect who you are. Yeah, and the impact that you're able to have. So I just love that you pointed that out because I get that, you get that. Yeah, and I, you're right. And I wish, I think, I hope more people get that. I think these younger generations get that. But I think a big thing you, you mentioned is sort of it's not a zero sum game, you know. And you're right. Like if one of us suffers, we all suffer. And I think that's a big part. Of what I think hopefully people in this country, in the United States, start to remember um, as we think about like the Dreamers um, and other immigrant communities, and and it's like. You know, it might seem like, how does that impact me? I think a lot of people think, you know, we've been having a lot of discussions about Dreamers and DACA recently, right? And a lot of people say, well, how does that impact me? And I think it goes back to that idea is like, you know, if one of us suffers, we all suffer, you know, and and something like that could seem like it's not related, but it's, we're all so interconnected. We're all so much the same too. I think people don't realize that, but when you travel, the benefit of, yeah, being traveled around the world, and I'm sure Nick, you've seen this, is that we may talk different, we may have different customs, but deep down, we're all the same. We want to be heard. We want to be loved. We want a sense of community. Um, we want opportunity. And I think people can have it if we just, <laughs> if uh, we get away from this, the current mindset we're in. Absolutely. Before we go, if people are interested in finding out more about you and also the work that you're doing at Univision, what would you recommend they go look at, whether it's a social media, one of your social media platforms or some article or a website or, or where would you send people? Yeah, so I would send people, for people that are interested in Haiti um, and EGI, you can go to www.egi-haiti.org. EGI Haiti, you can also find it on Facebook and, and, and Twitter. Um, I think for Univision, we've got a bunch of great stuff. I'm blanking on the link for our, our sort of corporate work, um, but but I think if you go to I'll, I'll, I'll link it up later. Yeah, they can either Google it or I'll, I'll link yeah, it up later. I think if you, go to, you can go to univision.org where our foundation um, has a lot of information. Um, and then I would say for me, you know, just LinkedIn, if you look at Stephen Keppel, um, on LinkedIn, I've got a lot of information there, um, or on Twitter, I'm just at Stephen Keppel. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'd, you know, I'd love to hear from people. I'm always learning, uh, in what we do. I'm always looking for opportunities. Um, and if there's any way that I can help, uh, I will. Fantastic. Well, Stephen, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know the Let's Give a Damn family will benefit greatly from hearing your story and about your experiences and what you're doing. Um, let's do it again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for joining Stephen and me today. I hope you learned as much as I did from this conversation. If this content is adding value to your life in any way, my one ask, my one big ask, is that you go to Apple Podcasts right now and leave us a five-star review. It helps us a ton. It helps us get into the eyes and ears and lives of many more listeners. You can also find show notes and other ways to join in on what we're doing by going to shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. That's shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. Last week, I promised to answer some of your questions on the podcast. I'm actually going to do it Facebook Live on the day this podcast comes out, 116, January 16th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on my Facebook page. During that Facebook Live, I'll be answering some of the questions you've already asked and that I've already received. Plus, I'll be happy to take any new ones you might have. And I just want to spend time with you, so come join me. And if you're listening to this after 116, you'll find the video for that Facebook Live on my Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash Nick LaPara. And you'll also find it on my YouTube channel. Just go search Nick LaPara on YouTube. I'm so honored that you choose to spend time with me and my guests every single week. It really, truly does mean the world to me. Not a week goes by where I don't get several notes, texts, emails, direct messages, etc., from you sharing how impactful these stories are for you in your life. So keep them coming and keep giving more dams. I love you all. See you next time.